So we're into the fourth session of Only Only the Brave. And we're looking at the book of, of 1 Peter. And we've got three phrases in front of us already. You have what it takes to be brave. Only the brave refuse to live life alone. And from earlier today, brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. Three phrases that are in front of us. And hopefully we've all been thinking about bravery as we've moved through these these two or three weeks. And for me, I've been thinking about it, about what I've done that was, was brave. I mean, I'm no action hero, although I don't think through lack of bravery, more through lack of opportunities. It isn't every day that you get a chance to wear your underpants on the outside and put your cape around your shoulders and rush out onto the street. Not the best, but maybe... Maybe the most recent opportunity came when we, that's, that's Rach and me, took Emily, our eight-year-old daughter, off to Merry Hill for her to experience what is called Quest. Anyone seen that? Know what I'm talking about? Quest at Merry Hill? It is. It is 17 metres high. Get that. 17 metres. It is the UK... UK's highest, UK's highest, get that, indoor high ropes course. Obviously, it's all very safe with a full climber's harness that you're helped into. A little intimate for me with another guy, but necessary. (laughs) Then that goes up to a rail which you're slotted into. And I'm sure it's impossible to fall unless you actually undo your harness. And I had no plan to undo my harness. Having said that, I don't know about you, but with heights, no matter how safe it is, you can't control those instincts and feelings that get a hold of you. Just so you can picture it. Looking up, there are four Four levels to quest, each of which has various exposed challenges. There's beams, there's, there's ropes, there's foot-sized pads that you can step across. And when you're harnessed and ready, you head up to the first of these. You climb the steps. Now, some of you, and I've already had this conversation of thinking, you wuss, call that high, I'd eat that for breakfast. Others, you're thinking, no way, you wouldn't get me up there. But what you've got to remember with bravery is that sometimes what seems brave to one person can be normal. Nothing out of the ordinary to another. And we've got to celebrate. We've got to encourage bravery in whatever way we see it in someone else. Whether we think it would be ordinary for us or not, it could be massive for them. Emily went first. She's eight and fearless. I'm 38 and thinking as we step out on that first level, four metres up, stop sweating, keep calm, don't look down. I don't know if you've heard of positive peer group pressure, but when your daughter is in front of you with a massive smile on her face, loving every moment, and you're meant to be her hero, you just know you've got to go through with this and I did up to level four 17 meters up and there looking down is my wife Rach laughing and smiling 
She's read all the body language. She knows I'm scared. And looking across there to Emily, my daughter, who was out over the drop now, 17 meetings up, having got bored with the challenges and was swinging freely on her harness. I was a proud but emotionally exhausted dad. Brave for me, yes, for you, maybe, maybe not. Bravery, it can be personal. It is often internal. Not everyone sees it. Not everyone understands what you're going through, but God never misses it. He celebrates and encourages our bravery. And I believe as we look at what the Bible has to say, God will speak something new and challenging into each of us. The book of 1 Peter was written at the time when the the followers of of Jesus, those first Christians, were, were under increasing pressure. It was around AD 64 and they were getting blamed for a fire that had raged through Rome. And the Emperor Nero was looking for an easy way out. He almost certainly started the fire. And the Christians, they were it. They were the easy way out. They got the blame and suffering and and persecution. And for many, death followed. And more than anything, the book of 1 Peter was written to speak strength and and courage to to those first Christians. And as we get into this, I want to set it up early. We've covered... 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2. We're into chapter 3 and moving into chapter 4. And I'm going to take three sentences, three, three verses and, and read them out. And with that, I'm going to give them a theme. And then once you've got the, the headlines, I'm going to speak into each of these. The first sentence comes in 1 Peter 3 and it's verse 8 and it says this. Finally, all of you. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And the theme here for me is about depth. Depth of relationships. Depth of emotion. And when it comes to being brave, I think there is a lot that we need to face up to. See, bravery isn't the absence of fear. It is facing our fears and doing it or living through it despite them. And only the brave, only the brave are prepared to face their fears. Only the brave are prepared to face their fears. The second sentence comes in 1 Peter 3 and it's in verse 15. And it says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. Everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And the theme here is about difference. Difference. It is when being a a Christian causes us to stand out in, in some way. And people may react to that. Because maybe they don't believe what we believe. Or they don't understand why we choose to be the way we are and not the way they are. And you may be here tonight and you wouldn't say that you're a Christian That is great. Thanks for taking the time to find out more. You're really welcome. And I hope you hear something that will help you to understand what Christians believe and why they choose to be the way they are. But more than anything, I hope you get to see that we're still very normal, very human. 
that we experience all the same things, all the same stresses and strange questions and doubts that you do. But we do it with faith, faith in Jesus. That not only was he a historical figure that lived and died and rose again, but that he is alive now and that he set an example of the best way, the best way to live our lives. The third sentence comes in 1 Peter and it's in verse 1. So it's 1 Peter 4 in verse 1. And it says, therefore, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. And the theme here is about suffering. And this is probably the the hardest to take. And suffering is uh, the one theme which comes through the most in this part of 1 Peter. Maybe even all of the book. I've just got to say as we, we get into this, suffering probably isn't what you or even me in thinking this through wanted to be talking about tonight. And it's essential that we get this now because it should come through time and time again. This isn't suffering for for suffering's sake and, and then the end in some I enjoy pain type of way. This is suffering with hope, hope. Hope that keeps coming through. Hope that after the night, day will come. Hope that after the upset or the, or the pain, we will be closer to God. Hope that our character, who we are, will be transformed into the most Jesus-like version of ourselves. Hope that life will become fuller and, and more meaningful. Hope that beyond this life is an eternity with God where there will be no more suffering. See, what is so remarkable about what Peter writes is that despite what he knows is coming, despite the persecutions, the deaths, Peter's own martyrdom, there is hope, a constant, a convincing, a cutting through all the darkness, glorious hope. And being brave means we face up to life, we face up to our fears, and we do it knowing that there is hope. Just needed to get that down early so that we're in no doubt about the direction that we're going in. It isn't down into despair. It's up into a a passion for for living. That only, only Jesus can give us that. In talking about suffering, it may not at times feel like it, but I needed to tell you that because of Jesus, this is all good news. It's good news. Depth in. And living in harmony with one another. I've got to say that I've learnt a lot of what I know about conflict from getting married. <laughs> Seriously, I have. Before, before I got married, I didn't really know how to fight my corner. I learnt quickly a, a crash course. I learnt how to explain myself, my emotions, my, my views. Before that, I used to just go quiet. And I soon realised that that isn't healthy. It often isn't fair. It doesn't do much to to grow a relationship. I realised I needed to verbalise what was in here, in my heart, and what was in here, in my head, my emotions, my views. And more recently, I was reading a book by Philip Yancey, who's a great Christian author. And he made the, the connection between church and marriage. And he used this teaching from the 
the Puritans. You don't hear that much from the Puritans. The Puritans were a historic movement of Christians who were significant in the 16th and 17th century. That may be why you don't hear that much from them. And the Puritans called marriage. They called marriage the little church within the church. The little church within the church. I'm not sure that that's an encouragement to get married or to be single. But that really isn't the point. The point is the relationships that we form here in church are meant to be close. They're meant to be verbalized. They're meant to be worked out in the the stress and the strain of life. All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. What a picture. What a picture of of life together that is. And I believe that church, what we have here, gathering together in large and small groups with the, with the diversity of ages and cultures and backgrounds and experience and education and wealth and so on and so on. The diversity of what is gathered here is how the world will know that Jesus is alive. We need to be the world's best, the world's best at doing life together because that is what attracts people. There is a longing to belong, a longing to to be accepted. But with all of this, with all of this living in harmony, with being sympathetic, with being compassionate and humble, we must choose. We must choose. We must choose now that this is how we're going to do life together. Because if we wait, if we wait to see how we feel when someone says, something against us when someone is less than sympathetic even when someone insults us if we wait and see what comes out of our heart and then out of our mouth at that point I doubt I doubt it will be what Jesus would have intended or if we if we fail if we fail to deal with the the emotional the relational hurt and we allow it to increase inside of us to to get a hold of us damaging our thoughts and and our emotions internalize it and never talking it through i doubt even we ourselves will like the person that we're becoming we need to choose now how we will do life together not wait for it to happen because if it isn't right on the inside then sooner or later it isn't going to be right on the outside we need to search ourselves and ask God into that and maybe there will be some some wrong thoughts some wrong emotions which we need to deal with and we can meet and and we can talk with one or two safe and trusted Christians who are ahead of us in this And this doing life together really well comes with a promise. And if you're new to this, haven't heard much from the the Bible, then just so you know, in the Bible, there is great advice, great advice. There is an approach to life that really works. See, we can get all super spiritual about the blessings and not realize that we can enjoy them now in a very easy way. 
Following Jesus in our lives and in our relationships means we will enjoy life more. And we will become more enjoyable people to spend time with. Fun, laughter, meaning, health. Life becomes so much richer, so much fuller when we live it together with depth. And then there is difference. Difference and being brave enough to to stand out. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15 it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And it is. In one sentence, Peter gives us the, the best, most natural approach to, to share in our faith that we will ever hear. Have an answer ready. Have it ready. Be brave. Give it. And live in such a way that people will be attracted to your life and, and to your faith. And why is that? Why that? attraction it is because of hope hope that keeps coming through hope that we're being transformed hope that life is becoming fuller and more meaningful hope that beyond this life is an eternity with God a constant a convincing a cutting through all the darkness a glorious hope in Jesus that is what should shine out of us that is what's attractive and at the end of the day the reason the answer it is simple It is accepting Jesus into our lives and following him each day. That is the only difference that we can claim. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we talk about our faith, our following of of Jesus. We should do it in such a way that, that not only do people hear the answer, but they get to see it. They get to experience it in us. Jesus' is love. Jesus' is compassion. Jesus' is respect for the people who were attracted to him, whether they remained to listen or turned and, and walked away. Then later, later in 1 Peter 4, in verses 3 to 4, it says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. And you think, wow, that paints a picture. And the language that it uses, as much as we know what the words mean, it can put us off. But I want to get hold of it just for a a couple of minutes. And I want us to get a word in our minds. And that word is pressure. Pressure. Pressure of culture. Pressure of of lifestyles. Pressure to to think and do what everyone else is seen to be thinking and, and doing. To the point where people may even suggest that we are abnormal. That it is strange to to live as a a Christian. Over two and a half thousand years ago, a man called Isaiah wrote the following words. They are recorded in the Bible along with a lot of other things that he he said and, and wrote. In Isaiah 5 verse 20 it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness 
who put bitter for sweet and, and sweets for bitter. And these words, they describe a, a confused state of society and culture where good and evil, where darkness and light, where, where bitter and sweet all get switched around and no one knows the difference anymore. And I, I question our society, I question our culture. A lot of the, the lifestyles that it, that it promotes, that it says are good, that it says are the, the sweetest way to live, that it says are, are successful, I question it. Because as Christians, we are called to be different. And we need the Bible. We need it. It's an absolute must in our lives that we're reading it so that we can tell the difference, so that we can know the difference, so that we can be brave and see and live out what God would call good and turn from what God would call evil so that we can live in the light and not be drawn into the darkness so that there can be a sweetness to our lives especially especially when pressure comes when people reject us and our God and it would be easier to become bitter And the more that we do that, the more we live out what we learn in the Bible, the more we will feel that this is who we were meant to be. Not perfect, but doing our best and happier, more comfortable in our own skins, knowing that we're living in a way that pleases our creator. And one final thing here about difference is this. Earlier in 1 Peter in the NIV translation that I read a lot of. Earlier, he he calls us strangers in the world. Strangers in the world. And following Jesus may cause us to be different. To be strangers because we're not giving in to the pressures and we're we're moving through this, this life to something that is beyond. But that doesn't mean that we have to go out of our way to be strange. Because I have met Christians, and I am sorry, just being honest, where my first thought is, wow, you're strange. (laughs) But then then I I think you would have been strange even if you weren't a Christian. So let's, let's see how we can still do life together. We're strangers, but let's not be deliberately strange. There is a need. There is a need to be grounded in life. And that, that moves us. That moves us to the theme that comes through the strongest in this part of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 4, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the, the same attitude. Now, when it comes to, to suffering, I feel that I need to make a, a disclaimer And it's this, I don't feel personally that I have really suffered, certainly not in the way that I see suffering in other people's lives. What I do a lot of though is listening to people and reading about people who I know have lived it out as followers of Jesus. They have suffered and yet there is a a brightness about them, there is an inner strength that I hope I will have at times when I face it. Suffering is, it is often part of 
growing up in our faith. And if I think back to when I was younger and now even more so as a dad, I hear myself saying it, whenever either of my two children, Jay or Emily, have aches and pains in their legs, what is the first thing that I say? What's the first thing? It's only growing pains. The bones lengthening, the muscles stretching. And in our faith, in our relationship with God, there are going to be growing pains. And suffering. Suffering, we don't want it. I mean, why would we? It hurts, it costs, it it stretches us beyond what we think we could cope with. We don't want it, but often life doesn't give us that option. And what comes out here in, in, in 1 Peter, in what he writes, is that time and again, we don't need to fear it, but to be brave and to face it, because there is hope. And God, God, he, he doesn't leave us alone. In fact, and it's difficult to say this, but I know it to be true, God does a lot of his best work through some form of suffering. I started this talk with me trying to be brave. 17 metres up on the high ropes. I want to finish with being more vulnerable than that. Not that this is about me. It's just something from my life. And I'm sure all of us, all of us here, could be vulnerable here and now and and talk about something that we've been through where we've suffered. One of the bravest things, one of the bravest things that I do, and it's going to need some explaining, is to go swimming. Not because I'm, I'm scared of water or that I can't swim. But when I was younger, going through secondary school and, and then to, to college, I started to, to put on weight, really a lot of weight. I got up to 16 stone, and that was big for a 16-year-old. And at school, swimming, swimming was what showed that up the most. I don't know whether they, they still do this with awarding stripes for, for progress. I think it went red, blue, yellow, and then green. And I earned these at primary school when I was thinner. But at secondary school, I had my stripes taken off me. (laughs) Because I I didn't have the physical strength to lift myself out of the pool. I was too overweight, too heavy. So I dropped down the, the classes back to the small pool. That didn't matter much. What did matter, what did hurt were the jokes that were made, the humiliation that I felt in front of the children who I thought were my friends. And those changing rooms will forever be in my memory. But looking back, looking back now, I wouldn't change it. Did I suffer? Probably, yes. Children can be cruel in what they say, but I also know it did something in me. It deepened me. It worked something into my emotions, a a, a resilience, an understanding of what it means to be made fun of, to feel like you're different and that you you don't fit. It also gave me a, a belief to know that I could come through it. I could do something about it, which I know is suffering, sometimes isn't possible. And none of that, none of that has left me. And I don't think God could have got me to where he wanted me or caused me to become the person that he wanted me to be without it. 
And even for me, with what I went through, that is difficult to admit to myself. And there's going to be people here tonight who have been through or are going through so much more than me. And suffering. Suffering, we don't want it. It hurts. It costs. It stretches us beyond what we think we can cope with. But what Peter tells us here is to arm ourselves to be real about these battles that sooner or later we're all going to face because suffering comes. And the point that he's making is that it isn't automatic. It's not automatic. Just because we suffer, we don't automatically come closer to God. In fact, it can have the opposite effect. It can take us further from God with questions and blame and bitterness. We only come closer to God through suffering when we have the bravery to do it, to face it with the attitude of Jesus. And the example, the example that we have in front of us, as hard as it is to follow, is not only Jesus' death, but his life, how he lived it, with gentleness and compassion and humility. Let's not forget that he lived really, really well before he died. Suffering is a deepening experience. And it's only as we go through it that those emotions, those doubts, those fears and insecurities become exposed. And it's only as we allow him, as we open ourselves to God, that he brings the healing. He brings the the transformation. He brings the sweetness out of the bitterness. And what is revealed in us, what is revealed in us, that, that glory will be far greater than the suffering. And what Peter also does as he writes and calls it out of those first Christians is to cause them to look ahead, to look ahead, not just to a a fuller, more meaningful life on this earth, but to a life in God's presence permanently. Death isn't the end. It has already been defeated. Eternal life, heaven, that is what waits for us. And that is where we need the most bravery. To hold heaven, to hold heaven forever in front of us. Because if we can do that, this life that we're living becomes what it was meant to be. A sacrifice. A laying down of all that we are to God. As I finish, I'd like us to to listen to a a song and to read the lyrics as it plays. It's a song by a Christian band called 10th Avenue. And it's moving, it's, it's challenging. At first, if you're like me, as you listen, you may be thinking, I'm struggling with this because it talks about chaos and, and suffering and, and remaining in it. There are a couple of lines in one of the verses which say, But oh my God, I know there's more than this. If you promise pain, it can't be meaningless. And that's a a cry from the heart. And the main thing that comes through is the desire to to see God in it. For him to be the, the loudest voice through the pain. And then in the chorus it says, Don't stop the madness. Don't stop the chaos. Don't stop the the pain surrounding me. Don't be afraid, Lord, to break my heart if it brings me down 
to my knees. And that goes even further. It becomes a a prayer to God where we make ourselves, our, our lives vulnerable to him. Asking him to take us through all that he would take us through to get us where he wants us. And for us to become the people that he would want us to be. It isn't easy, but it communicates so much. And once we've listened to this, I'm going to lead us as we pray for each other. So let's watch and let's listen.